0: Welcome to the City Beautiful Church podcast. Thank you for taking the time to join our family as we strive to live together in heavenly reality. For more great content, visit us online at citybeautiful.ch. We're doing uh, a series right now called Thinking Christianly, um, where we're using Paul's letter to the church in Philippi to ask this question, how do we learn how to think like Christians? so that we can be a faithful presence in the world as it is today that a lot of times we might be taught what we're supposed to think or what we're supposed to believe but we don't know what the actual mechanics are of thinking as Christians which is to say to think like Christ and if we are to be conformed more and more into his likeness that means that our thinking patterns the way we see the world um, has to be shaped before we can understand how we can be in the world. Today, uh, I'm particularly excited to see how this goes. I I, I hope it goes well. We're going to be um, taking that in a more practical direction. We're going to kind of pause from actually looking at um, the letter to the Philippians from passage to passage. And we're going to just practice thinking Christianly about some modern issues. Um, So last week, John David was talking to us um, about Philippians chapter 2, the second half of that chapter, and um, the the main point that he focused on, which I loved, was uh, working out your salvation with fear and trembling, and there's this other line in there that just, when I was kind of praying through Philippians uh, during the summer, because I really felt like I knew the Lord wanted us to do Philippians, and I knew that the Lord was calling us to examine how we think, and I didn't know how those went together, and I still don't, like I just... I just throw everybody up here and we see what happens and God speaks through it, which is awesome. Um, but there was this line in uh, Philippians two fourteen to 16 that I, that I found so powerful. It says this, do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then, this is the, the line that I love, then you will shine among them like stars in the sky, as you hold firmly to the word of life. I love that image for us. You will shine like stars in the sky, stars in the darkness. And he spoke about it a little bit last week that, that we become these little points of light in a, in a lot of darkness. And it reminded me of this quote by Mother Teresa. She said, if I was to ever become a saint, I would become a saint of darkness for I would not be found within the gates of heaven, but I would be found outside the gates of heaven in the darkness, lighting home those who have lost their way. And what a powerful way for us to envision ourselves that our our place in the world, our place in our communities, our families, our workplace, whatever it is, we have this opportunity when we um, understand what it means to be the representation of Christ that we shine like stars in the darkness. And wherever we go, we bring his presence. When we speak, we speak on behalf of Christ. When we act, we act on his behalf. And so what I want us to do today, I'm gonna briefly kind of recap um, the four uh, elements of thinking Christianly that we've looked at so far in this series. I wanna talk a little bit about kind of a lens through which we can engage, um, like our expectations for engaging with modern issues in the the modern world because I think there's a lot of anxiety there that really bears um, kind of opening up and and examining. And then I wanna give you a grid that I have found really helpful for how to think like Christians when we're um, engaging with issues in the modern uh, strata. Sound good? Everybody excited? Yeah. All right, great. You know, we're always trying to balance between like the, the, you know, our, main, uh, our main values, intimacy and identity and purpose, and kind of always tying those things together that we pursue intimacy with God We're learning how to inhabit our identity um, as Christians, as the image of God, but we're also seeking out a purpose. How do we make this practical? How do we go out on the other side? I think this is going to hopefully, God willing, do all three. So we began um, in Philippians 1, which is the best place to start if you're going to read Philippians. Um, And I kind of honed in on this specific phrase that Paul uses when he's kind of starting into his letter uh, about the affection of Christ Jesus. And so the affection of Christ Jesus for us translates to wisdom for how to be in the world. That we need that lens, that first of all, you and I as believers receive the affection of Jesus for us. And it dramatically shifts how we perceive ourselves in our own shame and guilt and shortcomings and all of these things to choose to to recognize that there is an affection that Jesus has for us. There's an affection Jesus has for his church, as messy as we may be. But when we learn to live in that affection of Jesus as the beloved, that begins to translate to wisdom for how we go out into the world because we carry that belovedness with us us. And so we prioritize intimacy with God as our pursuit as the church. But from, ev- from intimacy with God, everything else flows. Um, the second uh, message in the series was from our very own Nicole Ponder speaking about that second half of Philippians um, where uh, Philippians 1, where Paul is talking about where he's at and the suffering that he's enduring and he's in prison and he's been beaten up. But he has this amazing kind of undergirding perspective of joy that, that recontextualizes everything he's experiencing. And so for us, cultivating joy along the journey gives context to our problems, maintains passion for our mission, and keeps God at the center of our perspective. And we see all three of those elements in how Paul understands his current situation as being imprisoned uh, for the sake of the gospel. And so joy grounds us even as life constantly twists and turns. You know, I think about this so often, even growing up within the church and, and what we expected that the future would be like and some of the conversations we're having in modern society are things that many of us never anticipated we'd be talking about. Um, Or conversely, where we're taking conventional wisdom, supposedly conventional wisdom in the church, and re-examining things and saying, well, is this the church's perspective? Is it a foregone conclusion? Or is there actually perhaps a a deeper and better way to examine the modern issues of the day that actually lead us into deeper faithfulness with Jesus? Um, The third in that was my favorite passage in Scripture, Philippians 2, 1 through 11, um, the Christ hymn. And what we were kind of examining there is that Paul is saying that the humility of God on the cross challenges the way that we think about power, authority, and privilege. That it's that upside down understanding of entering into the kingdom that dramatically shifts, again, some of that conventional wisdom. And when we begin to separate out the kingdom from the world, when we're talking about conventional wisdom, it actually leads us to start asking the right kinds of questions about our modern era, about who we're called to be, what we're called to do as the church. Because a lot of times, the questions that we're asking aren't the right questions, because there's all of these presuppositions. And that's one thing that I have found really passionate in engaging with people when they ask me a question to say, your question, it kind of supposes this thing about God or that thing about Jesus or that that idea of what the church is and we need to back up and really start with that ground zero image of God which is Jesus on the cross and to say how does Jesus on the cross dramatically shift our understanding of what it means to have power what it means to have authority that we no longer live under that kind of Pax Romana vision that we saw with Caesar Augustus in the time of Paul that might makes right but we actually call to live in a dramatically different way and then last week, uh, John David finished out Philippians 2 with that phrase, working out your salvation with fear and trembling. And he taught us that we work out our salvation in the context of community. You know, it should almost be translated, work out y'all's salvation. That's not an individual mandate that you need to go home and kind of sit with your Bible and just figure out what your salvation means. But it's something that we do together to go, oh my goodness, we don't have all the answers, but as the people of God, as his family, we're working this thing out, arm in arm, hand in hand, doing the, the necessary wrestling with one another to say, well, what does it mean for us to be faithful together? We encourage each other. We challenge each other. And then God equips us through that process. But it's important that we also work out our salvation and community as we celebrate God working in and through us. That it's not our responsibility as the church to fix the world. Just as it's not your responsibility as an individual to try to save yourself. Because when you tried to save yourself, you tended to go with the world's definition of what power is and you try to make yourself God, right? This is what we do. We place ourselves over top of people. We're looking to amass wealth, power, privilege, authority, all these different things. But that when we recognize, oh no, God is doing something in each one of us and among us, and then He's doing it through us, what we are really doing is we're naming what God is doing within His people, within His church. And we're taking what's true on the inside and we're making it true on the outside of how we act, how we choose to be present to the world. And so it's that confidence that we get from that that we're going to be examining next week. So, as I said, a lot of times I'm engaging with people and they're asking me questions about what about this issue or that Supreme Court ruling or this thing that's in the newspaper. What, what do we do? How are we supposed to approach this? And I think there's a lot of anxiety nowadays because we're more plugged in than ever before and we're inundated with more information than ever before, right? So, 100 years ago, it's guaranteed you knew 150 people. That's it. And you live. who, who here thinks they live in the smallest town represented? Anybody? I lived in Tecumseh, Michigan, there was 8,000 people there, can anybody do better? Ridgecrest, California, 2000, Ridgecrest, California, 2000. Kirbyville, Texas, Kirbyville, Texas, 1200, can anybody do better than 450? There's 449 now, because Jennifer's here, but 100 years ago, that's, what we, that's how it was. I mean, if something happened in the next state over, let alone the next country, you wouldn't hear about it for weeks, and, in, and by that it had been processed, but we're constantly inundated through social media, through our engagement in, in, in work, or in our friends, or family, or even, you know, it's, I'm sure some of you are kind of terrified, like Thanksgiving's on the horizon, and you don't even know what to expect when your family comes together, and there's a lot of anxiety right now, I think it feels like fear and anxiety are just kind of pouring down out of the sky, um, And for many of us that means that we want to shut down or we want to kind of like hold even tighter to the things that we believe and that we're fighting for and just fight even harder. We have different ways of dealing with that. But these are a couple little axioms that I have found really helpful for myself and I want to offer them to you as ways of how do we engage with the contemporary world. Number one, we can't care about everything all the time immediately, okay? So already, I hear some sighs, oh, thank God. Yes. You have limits as a human being. You only have so much time and energy and compassion. And I think the problem, especially with social media, is that everybody has their thing that they're most passionate about, and they judge you according to how much you care about that very same thing. And it becomes, there's so much pressure in that, that you are, you are presented with this new idea or this new concept or, or this, this new issue, whatever it might be, and you have to care about it at 100, you have to care about it all throughout your day and dream about it at night, and you already have to know what you believe about it right now. You've got 15 minutes to decide if you're going to be on the right side or the wrong side of history. And that is a lot, a lot of pressure. And unfortunately, what that mentality does in our modern society where it's just so five-alarm all the time is that you get pulled into this for us or against us fear-mongering battle. That inadvertently, we are playing into fear that if you are not on the right side of this thing or if you don't care about this enough, then you are on, you're in the wrong and you're on the outside. And it becomes this, again, self-righteousness that we find uh, so often in our own society. But when we can learn to relax... to to recognize, like, I'm not capable of it. I heard someone say one time, you have the capacity to really deeply and profoundly care about, like, three things in your life. And the beauty of that, I think, is it's not that, you know, we, we silo our care, but we recognize in the, in the community, we have people that care about all of these different issues, and they're all going to be represented here together if we're being authentic to who God's calling us to be. And the beauty is then, I think it gives us this courage to explore some of the different contemporary issues and conversations. And the more that you do that from exposure, you'll find the thing that you're called to. You know, I've told this story before, but when I used to run a ministry school in Nashville, we took a team down to Houston, and we were working with all of these different ministries, many of them for the homeless, and we were debriefing one evening, and one of my students broke down because he had spent most of the, the day playing with these little kids um, at, a, at a lunch and a church service that we were doing for the homeless in the park, and he broke down in tears. He said, I never knew there were homeless children in our country, you know, because he had lived a life where he was... Could live out of the convenience of not having to face that reality. He had that privilege in his life. But to be exposed to it opened him up to to a new journey of figuring out what's going on in the world around us. And so this brings us to number two. Uh, We don't we need to know if we don't engage, why? And if we do engage, why? Okay? If you're not engaging in something you need to know why you're choosing not to engage in that. Because there are two kinds of boundaries. Healthy boundaries are based on love for yourself, for others, and for God. But then there are boundaries that are uh, established out of fear, that you just don't want to deal with something because it's going to inconvenience you. You don't want to read the newspaper because it just stresses you out. There's those little things we need to be more reflective on why we don't engage with things. And then conversely, to know if I do engage in something, why am I engaging with this? Why am I so passionate about this issue? Where, where is it touching my story? Is it, a, is it a healthy engagement? Is it an unhealthy engagement where it's become almost an obsession or a fetish that's actually en- en- enabling me to, to dehumanize people that are not on my side of the issue? And I think this is the really great opportunity for us to check our privilege. I once heard it said, uh, speaking specifically about uh, r- race relations in our country, that um, white people have the advantage of not being politically involved because that the system inherently works for us, whereas everything for black people is inherently political. And I just thought that was rather interesting that in, with, even within different races, we have these engagements with issues that can reveal to us that we have the privilege of having the convenience to say, well, I just don't want to deal with this because the system already kind of works for me. But there's people in our country, there's people in our church that the system doesn't work for them, that it's, it's, it's doing something to them, that they're not able to live a full and free life. And so when we kind of check our own privilege, why do I have the convenience to not deal with the things in the world? Is it because the world already works for me so I don't have to feel inconvenienced? And again, that's where you're gonna find your limits. I'm not saying that you have to dive into everything all the time. There has to be a lot of nuance in this conversation. That brings me to the third thing. We can be open-handed and curious, constantly bringing it all before the Lord. The three most blessed words in the English language. I don't know. Right? Again, if you don't have to feel like you have to have an opinion on everything all the time immediately, to be able to engage with whatever you're being presented with in modern society and go, gosh, I don't know. I don't know about that. I need to do some more research. I need to talk to some more people. There's my timer, (laughs) shoot. I swear, I'm trying to do better. We're almost almost there. Um, It's okay for you not to know. It's okay for you not to have an opinion on something yet. Because I think that opens you up to the place of discovery and it actually gives you permission to go deep on, a, on an issue. Sometimes it's our opinion that actually prevents us from really examining the depth of that issue because we formed an opinion, we've put the opinion on a shelf, and now we don't have to engage with it because it's just, well obviously this is the way to view this thing. And I've found in my own life that, especially dealing with some of the the really heavy issues of life, as I continue to engage with people and I hear their stories and their perspective, I'm always re-examining my own. And and a lot of times I still believe the same thing that I believed, but I might believe it on a far deeper perspective. Or perhaps I'm slowly starting to change some of my perspective on those things. But that's where when the I don't know leads us to do the work individually, but also to do it together to engage with community and to say, our community is not based on us all agreeing on all of the things. Our community is based on being willing to have the difficult conversations in compassion to really seek out what does it mean to be faithful to God in times like these. And the reality is that the church is a very wide stream uh, to swim in. That sometimes we think that there's a, a monolithic, unilateral approach to any kind of social issue in our, in our day, but that's not entirely true. There's no single approach to a single issue. And the work of the church is that we're constantly re-examining what we thought was a foregone conclusion and saying, are we, are we really interpreting this correctly? Are we really on the right side, which is to say, are we really being faithful to God and who he's calling us to be in this this moment? And so when you came in, uh, you were given a clipboard, and it has some questions. And for me, this is kind of, this is a grid. For me, this isn't comprehensive, but I think it's helpful to at least facilitate some of this thinking Christianly. and this, this is something that, that has been helpful for me to think through a lot of modern issues. I, I read the news fairly often, um, but I'm always trying to, 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 to work through, okay, what's the, first of all, what's the perspective from God, what's the perspective for the church, and then what's my call within that thing, so that I don't outsource my thinking and believing to, uh, to tribes within our society, just assuming that's a thing. You know, again, one of the things I love about Jesus, he's engaging with the Pharisees and the Sadducees in his day, right? Kind of religious conservatives and religious liberals in terms of how they interpret the law. And they're saying, well, are, these guys, are we right or are they right? And that was constantly the, what Jesus was being presented with. And he was really good at transcending all of that left-right conservative liberal divide and saying, okay, what is God like? What's his heart for humanity? And then who is, how is that calling us to this thing? And I love that kind of transcend, transcendent way of doing social issues. And so these are some of the, the questions that I found helpful. Number one, what's my initial reaction to this issue? Is this something that I'm really passionate about and I'm on the front lines? Is this something that I've never engaged with before? But to just, just to take an inventory. What are, what's my initial reaction, my initial opinions? And then the second question I think is really important. Am I willing to let go of my opinion to see through the lens of Jesus? Which is to say, if I go deep on this thing, and I come to a conclusion that God has a different opinion than me, am I willing to let go of my opinion? Am I willing to submit it to him? I think if we're honest, a lot of times the opinions that we have on social issues are more about us feeling safe and confident and less about being faithful to God. And so if we're not willing to answer that question, yes, we probably shouldn't go any farther because you're going to be picking a fight with the Almighty. So never assume that you have the Christian perspective on a social issue already nailed down because that prevents you from engaging. Number two, what is God's perspective on this issue? Well, what's he like? What's his heart? for creation for humanity what's god doing what's his his project as he's rescuing the world what is that in the macro sense how does god speak to us as he speaks through scripture as he speaks through the church through our tradition and through our local community as he speaks to us through nature as as the the language of the ordered world as he speaks to us through the holy spirit within us as he speaks to us through reason and logic what is god saying about this you know and i've often said you can't Go to a passage in Scripture and say, What should be our perspective on nuclear disarmament? It's not in there. I looked. But that's not how the Bible works. That's not what the Bible's for. It's not a handbook or a manual on how to have opinions. But what it does is that the Bible points us to Jesus as the true heart of the Father. And as we learn intimate understanding what God is really like, that begins to shape us to enter into those questions about nuclear disarmament or whatever it is and say, well, what is God's perspective on this thing? Number three, what is the specific task of the church to live as a model for the world where Jesus is king? A couple of weeks ago, I talked about this idea of dominionism where we find, I'm worried that I find this sometimes both in conservative Christian thinking and liberal Christian thinking that the responsibility of us as Christians is to legislate our opinion in the, on the national level. So if we can get, as the church, if we can get the state to make these kinds of laws, then we've done our job. You know, we've even got an election coming up on Tuesday. I'm excited. It might be the first time I vote ever. That's pretty cool, Right? <laughs> Um, but when we limit uh, our understanding to that, my role as the church is to just try to make America the kingdom of God, we have really fallen short of what we're, what we're called to do. Daniel was sharing a statistic with me the other day. There was a church in Missouri who took up funds, it was $44 million, and paid off all the, uh, what was it? Um, they, they paid off everybody's uh, health bills in like the, the surrounding seven counties, I mean, that is like creative kingdom engagement with modern issues. Um, and I love that. So, what is the specific task of the church to live as the model? This is what it looks like for, for the human beings when God is king, and how we treat one another, and how we take care of people outside the walls of the church. And then, fourth and finally, what's my personal responsibility to contribute to the church's task in this specific area? And I think. So often, from a hyper-individualist society, we're presented with a social issue and go, immediately, right to this question. What am I supposed to do about this? Uh, I'll tweet about it, you know? And that's it. Um, And we don't see the bigger narrative of what God's doing in the world, but when we can slow down and say, what's God doing? What is the church doing about this? What's my local community doing about this? And then, what is my personal place in this? I think it helps us to frame our specific task or role. So what we're going to do, we picked five um, issues that are very pertinent to Central Florida. And I'm going to read you some statistics quickly. And I want you to choose one of these five issues and just write it at the top of that paper. And then I'm going to give you 10 minutes just to quietly reflect on these questions. There's Bibles on a, on a table in the back there. Um, of course, you can use your phone, whatever you need to do. But just to kind of work through this with that issue... And I do not expect anybody to walk away today having solved homelessness. If you have, please come and talk to me because we really need that information. It's more about doing the exercise than it is about coming to a conclusion. Um, So that's the bit for our introverts. And then for our extroverts, there's going to be 10 minutes after that 10 minutes of just reflection where we're actually going to have you guys break into groups and you're going to write some of your your findings and thoughts on these little post-it notes, and you're going to post it underneath the banner that corresponds with the issue that you chose, and then you guys are just going to have some dialogue about some of those questions about some of your revelations. And I think we're going to have some really great discussion. Okay? So, um, I'm going to pray. I'm going to read through uh, these five contemporary issues, write one down, and then I'm going to give you guys ten minutes uh, just to to work through that on your own time. Um, So, Lord, um, I just thank you, God, so much for that image of, of Jesus and the way that he kind of transcends a lot of our bickering back and forth and this side or that side stuff. And he gives us this heavenly perspective. He lifts us up into the heavenly realms and then we, he gives us this lens or this vantage point to be able to look back at earth and to say, okay, how is heaven already coming to earth? How is that happening through the church? And then what's my role to play in that? So Lord, as we go through this, I just pray for a deep sense of peace, um, not a peace through avoidance, but a peace through deep engagement with you, to have courage in that, to see the world the way that you do. Lord, break our hearts open um, to recognize that there is work to be done, and you've called us to this place in this time. The first is human trafficking. So Florida ranks third in human trafficking cases by state. There were 767 cases of trafficking reported in Florida in 2018. 524 of those were specifically for purposes of sex. Greater Orlando ranks third in the United States for the number of reports to the National Human Trafficking Hotline. A second is mass incarceration. As of 2018, 470 of every 100,000 Floridians were incarcerated in state prisons. So there's 96,000 Floridians in state prison right now. And Florida is the 11th highest state by percentage of population incarcerated. And so our population in our state is uh, 58% white and 16% black. The incarceration rates are disproportionate, where it's 41% white and it's 56% black. And it's also 96, 93% male. Um, the third is the opioid crisis. Uh, Florida's unintentional and undetermined drug overdose deaths more than doubled from 2014 where there was 2,175 accidental deaths or unintentional deaths, uh, to in 2016 there was 4,672. Our opioid overdose rate has tripled since the turn of the century, so that's in less than 20 years. Uh, Next is homelessness and poverty. Uh, The 2018 point in time count found 2,053 homeless individuals on a single night in Orange, Osceola, and Seminole counties. And there are only 13 affordable rental units available for every 100 low-income houses, households in Central Florida. And then finally, what our ETA is about this month, domestic violence. In 2018, 104,914 crimes of domestic violence were reported to Florida law enforcement agencies and that resulted in 64,573 arrests. Um, And the most current national studies on domestic violence suggest that from 22 to 25% of all women will experience domestic violence at some point during their lives. It says one in four women in our country will experience some form of domestic violence. And so here's the five issues. I just want you to prayerfully consider which of those is the Lord drawing you into dialogue with him about, and I'm gonna set the timer uh, for 10 minutes, just to take time to reflect, to pray, to write, uh, and to pour through Scripture. 10 minutes has begun. Some of you were with us uh, several years ago when we used to meet downtown, and we were at a couple different venues. and. Um, there was someone who came to me and said, you know, we're engaging with a lot of homeless people. Like, we really want to do something for them. And so they started gathering together jackets and making coffee and going out on the street, especially, you know, in our harsh Florida winters, when it does actually get pretty cold downtown um, and giving people warm drinks and giving them jackets. And they were doing that for a while and they were gathering people together, and it was really neat. And I was meeting with the guy who had started it, and he was kind of frustrated. He said, you know, we're sitting with people and, and we're, we're ga- engaging with them, and we're giving them coats, and we're, or blankets, and we're giving them coffee, but the, that doesn't seem to be the, the, their biggest need. Like, a lot of these people just seem like they really just need someone to talk to and to kind of offer that for them humanity. And I thought, that now, now you're on the right track. And it's through the engagement we start to work through those things and go, oh, you know, maybe the thing that I thought was the thing isn't the thing. Maybe there's something else. And you see, it's not about coming to a conclusion. It's about being on that trajectory of coming before the Lord and going like, God, what are you, what are you saying about this? And what are you calling me to do? What's the, what's the part that we, can, that we can best contribute to what you're doing in the world? So I just want to encourage you with that. This isn't about conclusions. It's about entering into conversations with God and with one another. And so what I want to invite you to do next, kind of around the back of the room, Um, are these five different issues, they're they're up there twice, so there'll be two groups for each one. I want you to get up and I want you to find the issue that you chose and whatever you wrote on your little post-it notes to kind of place it underneath and then as people come together just start talking about your process, some conclusions you had, some questions that you came to, and just allow the conversation to flow naturally there. So I'm going to start the timer over again Um, and everybody stand up and move. All right. Everyone come back to your seats, please. I think the beauty is that, like I said, these don't have to be conclusions that we've come to in 20 minutes, but rather the beginning of conversations. And my real heart today is to give all of you a tool that can kind of help you to frame your own journey on exploring all these different social issues, but also to engage with community. And I think what we've, we've looked at several times already within Philippians, to, to have one mind, to have one heart, it doesn't inherently mean that we agree, but we have this common agreement. Our primary role is to pres- pursue Jesus and to remain faithful to him, and we work out what does that mean practically, um, arm in arm with one another. And I think that's where we really become kind of surprised and delighted by some of the conclusions that we come to uh, when we're seeking, first of all, to be faithful to him. Um, So I want to invite you to stand, and we're going to continue on in worship. And um, we need those two elements. You know, I spoke about it months ago, worship and justice, worship and justice, worship being right relationship with God, justice being right relationship with God's creation. And we can't do, we can't do godly justice without intimacy with God, and we can't have Intimacy with God, if we're not also exploring how that affects the way that we choose to be in the world. And so when we worship, what we're doing is we're constantly recentering ourselves on God. And I love that this song that we're about to do does that for the sake of the world, light a fire in me. Like, God, I want you to do something in me. I want you to kindle in me this deep intimacy, this longing for you, so that I can go out into the world and I can be that star shining in the darkness. I can be that fire that's pointing people home, saying, let's let's come back to the Father. Let's come back to Him. Let's come back to the household and and find ourselves at His table with Him. And so as we worship, you're more than welcome to come here to the Lord's table, just again as that symbolic gesture of of building intimacy with Him, saying the primary pursuit that we have together is of Jesus. And so I'm going to pray, and we're going to worship together. Um, Lord, I thank you that, you know, as as Paul writes to his uh, spiritual son, Timothy, you did not give us a spirit of timidity or fear. You didn't give us a spirit of timidity or fear, but you gave us a spirit of power and of love and of self-control. And so God, whatever is stirring up within us, within our community, within us as individuals, let that be our guide. That the more and more that we lean into, that we abide in your Holy Spirit, The more you give us love, you give us power, you give us self-control, you give us a trajectory and you say to us so often, do not be afraid because I am with you and I will never leave you or forsake you. So God, as we worship, I just invite you to uh, send your spirit to continue to work in us that we might work out what it means uh, to be little Christ's for the sake of the world. I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen come to the table. This has been the City Beautiful Church podcast. To stay connected, follow us on social everywhere at citybeautifulch. We hope you join us again soon.